I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. On this podcast, we sit down with leaders of all types to explore examples of real leadership and the qualities of all great problem solvers. I think we get really confused about what leadership is. On By Example, we lift up the real leaders, people who are focused on changing the order of things for the better and solving real problems that are right in front of them. Leading by example. On this episode of By Example, I have a wonderful conversation with Dr. Neely Bendapudi. She is in her first year as president of the University of Louisville. That's obviously an incredibly fantastic position at a great institution. But taking that job was a risk. It wasn't the obvious choice. And it is a job that requires tremendous leadership. I didn't know this before I sat down with Neely, but the University of Louisville has been marred by scandal over the last several years, and more of which you'll hear the doctor discuss. It would have been really easy to stay in her comfortable job. She had a fantastic job. She was the vice chancellor at Kansas University. That was a great job, too. And in fact, many people assumed that she would one day become chancellor of KU. It was a job she knew well. She did it well. She had a lot of support. She had huge numbers of fans. She could have been very happy, very comfortable, and very successful staying right where she was. And to take on the presidency of UofL took a lot of guts, and it also took someone who knows how to lead. Neely has run towards problems all her life. You'll hear her talk about that. And she does so with this delightful manner and understanding of her role. She describes herself as a temporary custodian of a great institution. I know the people at KU were so disappointed when she left, and I know the people at University of Louisville were so grateful when she came. But wherever she's been, Dr. Neely has run towards problems. As you listen to her, think about the problems in your own life or in your own community or in your own organization, and think about those that you might also run towards in order to solve. I grew up in India, in South India, and uh, I am the oldest of three girls. And when I was about five years old, my family had fallen on particularly hard times, and the entire extended family pitched in for my father to come to the United States to get his higher education. So I'm actually a living embodiment proof of how education can transform lives and unlock potential, as you say. If I can just stop you right there. Sure. So it's quite a statement that an entire extended family mm -hmm. would make that kind of investment, mm -hmm. take that kind of risk. Absolutely. Actually endure the hardship of being separated from someone mm -hmm. for years and many miles at a time when technology wasn't available. That's exactly right. That was a deep belief in the power of education. It was. And... Uh, 
uh, my father had received scholarships, but it was the only way out that they saw for him to get a, a good job and for him to be able to provide for his family. And so I am always in awe of my mother for four years to raise three little girls. Of course, we had a support system, my grandparents and so on. But my father went to the University of Kansas and came back after four years. And just with a deep love of this country and the possibilities that it provided. And so I've always been attracted to that. Of course, at five, I had no idea what America was or Kansas was. It's, it's just a place my father went to. So um, then I, my husband and I, we've been married 34 years. This is year 35. We came to the US as well to pursue our degrees in uh, business and so and yeah. when your when your dad came back mm -hmm. from his um, education at Kansas mm -hmm. what did he say about America how did he describe it uh, it's interesting because my father uh, he passed away a couple of years ago a hero in my life as you might yes, imagine I'm sure and uh, he wasn't much for a lot of words, but mm -hmm. he would tell us, you must always be grateful to this country. Uh, he, in India, we used to have a saying, something like, be grateful to the person that feeds you. It's, it's common in many cultures. So he would remind us that it was education that was the path that made these things possible for us. I must say he was never much for words because he never told us that little Lawrence, Kansas is incredibly hilly. So we were shocked when we got there. I thought it was plain as a you pancake. You thought it was flat Kansas. And, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, let's never go anywhere these crazy Americans call hilly because we will not survive because it's a lot of, uh, I didn't realize they found the one mountain hillside and then built the campus on there. But I always say that balance is the art of leadership. And mm. particularly, I talk about the balance between clear-eyed realism mm -hmm. and optimism. You have to be very clear-eyed and realistic about the challenges you face. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the optimism to know it can be better right. and that you can find people who will work with you to make it better, then nothing ever changes. I I, I completely agree. Coming to, for example, the University of Louisville, which has had some challenges over the last couple of years, we've been very much in the press for that. If we don't acknowledge that things have been difficult, you know, that clear-eyed realism that you're talking about, you quickly lose the trust of people who say you're just trying to whitewash what happened. But at the same time, I would not have taken the job, nor should a leader, if you don't think, if you don't know that there is a path to getting better. And the operative word is what you said. It's not that I can make it better. Uh, I've told people, I'm not Superman, Superwoman, that kind of thing doesn't exist. But I'm confident I can build a team and that I can get that collaboration so we can make things better. Yes, a leader can be a catalyst for effective collaboration. There has to be a spark. And a leader can provide that spark by seeing the possibilities. So when you come to Louisville, this is an organization that is storied. It's famous for many things. Absolutely. And yet, as you point out, it's had challenges and scandals. And so now you're the new president. And my guess is that you're having to be very thoughtful about how to balance the things you want to preserve that are worth pre mm -hmm. preserving 
and the things that you have to change. Talk a little bit about that balance between preservation and reinvention, perhaps. I, I love how you pose that, and I think that's a good thing for every leader to keep in mind as they walk into a new opportunity, because uh, this is a tremendous university, the first university that was born out of a city saying we need great higher education. And if you look at our mission and what we have done, it is tremendous. Uh, and so I think acknowledging what is great, what is working, is just as important as saying what is not working, what has to change. I have been encouraging my team to think not only about a start doing list, but a stop doing list. Because the other thing the leader gets to do as a catalyst is set priorities. Um, I have found that people who say they have 50 priorities yep, don't get anything done. Don't, and then they probably <laughs> were not English majors like me. So, you know, so for me, that's the key to say, what is it we love that we want to make sure we don't tinker with, that we keep it going strong, but at the same time, what is some innovation we need to bring? And importantly, what are things that just, um, they might have worked before, but we shouldn't do them anymore. That's exactly well, That's right. always part of change. So coming to collaboration, hmm. it, it strikes me that you are a black belt in collaboration, a world-class collaborator, because you achieve incredible goals. Um you know, there are people who think, oh, no, a leader has to know it all, fix it all, figure it all out. And, of course, that's never even possible. Talk about what makes you an effective collaborator. And please don't be modest. Be honest. Be a little self-reflective and think about why are you such a great collaborator? Hmm. You know what? You've just – I'm – Hardly ever at a loss for words, but you've got me there. I'm just basking in that wonderful yeah. praise. Um, I would say that the keys to collaboration are, one, the leader has to be secure enough to know that you will never know everything. There's a wonderful quote by Anais Nin, uh, the greater the island of knowledge, the greater the shorelines of wonder. So the idea is that the more you know, the more you should understand what you do not know. I have never felt the need to be the one in the room that has all the answers. And so to be saying it's okay, it doesn't mean I don't have expertise. I know I have deep expertise in some areas. So absolutely acknowledge that other people have insights, life experience, knowledge that I do not. That's probably one thing. Well, and if I can just punctuate that, uh, we talk about the importance of humility in collaboration. So and true. I'm always describing humility to people. I say, look, humility is not false modesty. Right. Humility is not hiding your light under a bushel. You need to be self-confident and know what you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. But you also have to know what others can bring to the table when, and not feel like you have to prove something all the time. That's so true. Uh, once we get past, the only way I feel good about myself is to put other people down. Mm. You know, humility doesn't do that. Nope. Humility says, let your light shine. Yes. That's not taking away from what yes. I bring to the table. In a university setting, I think collaboration is a must. 
you were pointing out earlier when we were talking, and I completely agree with you, in any setting, collaboration is a must, whether it's in the military or business. I've worked with leaders in all worlds, but particularly in a university setting, because you're first among equals in many ways. We have tenured faculty who have deep expertise in different areas. So I find it refreshing as a leader when I can point people to the mission and say, let's not make it about you or me. How do we get the work done? How do we actually impact the world? So that's probably the secret sauce, just always bringing it back to, uh, in my world, I say, if a student were listening to our conversation, would they be proud? Would they be happy? Would they say, oh, good, I'm glad the leaders are thinking about it, because that's what it comes down to. And so you, you've talked about humility, and you've also just now talked about empathy, the, the ability to see and hear someone else, to put yourself in someone else's shoes, for example, in the student's shoes. How would, it, how would we feel if we were a student hearing this conversation? How would I feel as a tenured faculty member? Mm -hmm. uh, and humility and empathy are essential to collaboration. You also, however, talked about setting goals mm -hmm. and getting people to agree on goals. And in your case, you usually set very high goals. Do you think it's important to have big goals? Do you think, I mean, I happen to think that the bigger the goal, the better the work and collaboration you I, get. But talk about that. A I bit. completely agree. So I'm so glad we're having this conversation because when people hear humility, collaboration, they think it's a low accountability organization. Whatever you do, we'll just sing Kumbaya. I think that's not being true to the mission of what we are. When you unlock potential, it's hard to be inspired by mediocrity. So for me, those big goals, because again, they're not just about the ego, they're about making a big impact in the world. Actually, I could not agree more. I think it builds the team, makes us stronger. It's that moonshot. It's that uh, let's do something that's profound. That's so important. That's I impactful. Do. That's meaningful. I think as human beings, we all have a fundamental need to feel part of something greater than ourselves. And I think at work, we spend so much time. And I'm in an industry where I'm very fortunate. In our university, about 40% of our students are low-income students. About 20% of the students are first-generation college students. So to me, it is, what can we do that will impact these huge swaths of society? Well, and all the way back to your uh, first um, experience in the United States where you were really living the possibilities of an immigrant's experience and education. And then you parlayed that into an ability to talk about that with donors and to say, think about the possibilities that we're creating here. Mm -hmm. And now in your current job, you continue to hold up those very aspirational goals mm -hmm. in order to get the best out of everyone. Mm -hmm. and, and you're right. And I hope that for a young person who might be listening to this or for leaders who are listening to this, they hear in your questions, because it's not just even my answers, why setting big, bold goals in a few defined areas is so much more powerful than having a hundred little things that we say we do. So for me, I keep it very simple. 
I want to make it a great place to learn. To make it a great place to learn, it has to be a great place to work for my faculty and staff. For it to be a great place to work, I have to make it a great place to invest. People who said, we're not giving, we're very disillusioned with what happened. And then why do people invest if they see it as a great place to learn? So it's a virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle. So keeping it simple, setting bold goals, and then above all, empowering people. Because it's unlocking potential. I love that. I keep coming back to it. It's already there. Yeah. And Potential's give people the opportunity. It's yes. all around us. Yes. Well, and so we've talked about the courage to keep going, particularly when someone is criticized. And if you're trying to change things, you're always going to without and question counter some criticism and the character to keep going when the going gets tough and the going always gets tough and collaboration but what we're really focused on now in this last couple minutes is the power of seeing possibilities mm -hmm. and showing those possibilities mm -hmm. to others sometimes in the form of goals that perhaps initially seem impossible to achieve sometimes i'm asked what you know, what lights me up? What mm -hmm. motivates me? And my answer is always the same. There's a certain look that people get when they achieve more than they thought they were going to. And that look, it's the same the world over. Yes. It's the same the world over. But that look is fuel. And you don't get that look. You don't get that look. We don't, none of us as leaders get that look unless we've shown people some possibilities and set high goals, not 20 little piddling mediocre goals, to your point. I, I, three or four big ones that count. I, I agree. And for me, the test is within an organization, when you talk to people who might be at the lowest levels of the organizational chart, right? And they feel equally empowered and they say, my organization, my company, my unit, and feel that what they are doing matters and makes a difference because everybody matters. And your own life story shows that wherever you start, there's potential everywhere. And so I talk about it as arming your people. You know, do they have the ability? Do they have the role clarity? Do they have the motivation? So to me, unlocking potential is making sure as a leader that I'm being very mindful of all three and cultivating that. Uh, to help people reach their potential, because that's the only way we meet the organization's mission. So we've been talking about possibilities. Let me flip it around just for a moment. But it is the other side of the same coin mm -hmm. and talk about problems. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the best ways to get a team to work effectively together is to ask them to solve a problem. And on the way to achieving goals, on the way to accomplishing successful change, mm -hmm. you got to solve problems. Um, problem solving is a huge part of leadership. In fact, it's the purpose of leadership, I think. Absolutely. And um, I bring it up in the following context. You and I are both women leaders, and mm -hmm. there's been a lot of discussion about diversity and women in leadership and all of this. Mm -hmm. And I was asked the other day by an author, mm -hmm. What do you think about diversity training? Hmm. And I said, I think too often, diversity training is theoretical. Mm -hmm. And what we ought to do is put diverse teams of people together and ask them to solve a problem. 
Talk a little bit about that. I, I, I get asked that question as well, and it's always an interesting thing to stop and think about it. I do think that when diverse teams work together, before they work together, it may not be a bad idea to showcase how people might interact in different ways, might use different language. It doesn't mean one is superior or one is inferior. The type of training that I like is the one that points out implicit biases we might bring that we are not even conscious of. So being aware of that allows us to be more mindful and it's a it's like a little pause button to say, oh, wait, don't jump to a a conclusion too quickly. So you, I'm sure, have had the same experience I have had where people will casually say things like, well, because you're a woman leader, I'm sure you X, Y, Z. That means, <laughs> and that's terrible, that means they just haven't had enough exemplars. So I do agree that the best way to bring a team together is not just talk about it, but keep them in isolated pockets, but bring them together. I am a firm believer that when you have diverse voices around the table, the solution is better. I agree. And it's a, a very simple percent. thing. It's yep. just, it's, it's common sense. Because as a scientist, I would say, if you and I have the identical life experiences, the unique contribution we make is less. Our degrees of freedom, you know, the additional information you provide is different. So I try to build diverse teams and academe this might shock you, is much worse than business in many ways in terms of lack of diversity. And so it's an ongoing challenge. It's the best person for the job, recognizing that we are different, we might operate differently, but not to jump to conclusions about somebody's ability to perform just because they may not interact the same way as whoever the normative leader might be. You know, it's interesting because you say academia is much worse than business, and yet business hasn't made as much progress as you might think they should have if Not you at look all. at senior leadership and boardrooms, et cetera. Agree. Um, and one of the things that happens all the time is uh, I think we as human beings are most comfortable with people like ourselves. I mean, we're sort of wired that way. As a scientist, you know that. We're kind of wired to recognize people that are like us. Right. And so our natural inclination is to be with people that we're comfortable with. And so I do think it takes extra work to build a diverse team. But the payoff is always absolutely huge. Absolutely. The second thing we know through social science, I didn't mean to imply that I'm in a lab with a beaker or something like that. But as a social scientist, I would say the solution to me has been, let's talk about this. It's, you're right, we're hardwired to look, label, that's how our mind works. One of the solutions is to see the complexity of another person. So try to put empathy Empathy and try to put more labels on one another, not fewer. So I try to say, if I'm sitting across a table from someone, um, we may not look like anything like one another, but maybe our values are the same. Maybe we love crossword puzzles, or maybe we love to read a particular author. So to try to, the empathy to see the whole person for what they bring. Well, and all the way back to the importance of problem solving, one of the things that I think happens when we're confronted with people that are different than ourselves or unexpected is we 
focus on the superficial. So we end up focusing on what do they look like, what do they sound like, what their style is. And it's easy to stay focused on those superficialities until and unless you actually have to work with them That's so true. to solve a problem or to achieve a big goal. And then those stylistic, superficial things tend to fall away and you get engaged in, wow, that's a really good idea. What I've found is that it's hard to get over the superficialities without real problems and big goals. I, I, I'm with you. It's a sense of shared fate. That's what you're bringing it yes. back. Like when I know that you and I need to work together because our mutual success, right? We have yeah. this goal is, is tied hard together. Enough. I can't do it by myself. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's that's very true. And what you're saying also is that it should be meaningful interaction. It cannot be forced, go say hello to 10 people who look different from you. It's genuine getting to know each other because we, we have to roll up our solve. sleeves. Yeah, we and have we a have problem a problem to solve. to solve. We have a goal to achieve. We've Agreed. got to make whatever organization, in your case now, the University of Louisville, a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Oh my gosh, Carly Fiorina, <laughs> I'm so glad you remembered and you said that. How does that sound to you? I think it sounds great. And you know why it's easy to remember? Mm-hmm. Because it's logical, mm-hmm. it's common sense, mm-hmm. but it's also aspirational. Mm-hmm. And to your point, it's simple. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's easy to achieve. Correct. But it's simple to understand. Right. People often confound simple and easy. Yes. And, and they're not the same they're thing. They're not. And just to emphasize everything you've said, through that, what I've said is that we'll achieve these three goals while celebrating diversity. And we try to foster equity and we try to achieve inclusion. And diversity of thought, diversity of life experience, diversity of perspectives. Well, and in fact, I would, at some risk, I would tweak your words slightly. Tell me. Because I think part of our issue with diversity is we tend to think of it as an adjunct. So true. Sort of off to the side. It's an add-on. It's a nice to-do. I actually think we will not achieve everything we could unless we realize it is integral to our success. So in this case, Hmm. the tweak on the words Hmm. I would give you is, I actually don't think it's that you will achieve these great things while celebrating diversity. You won't achieve these great things without diversity. I love it. I think that's very true. That's what I've been struggling to figure out. But I agree. I don't think we will create a Especially given your student body. Right. I think you're 100% right. If today's student in a college, anywhere, they are not going to be prepared for the work uh, of tomorrow if they don't know how to work with a team that doesn't look like them. That's right. That's so true. I love it. I love your tweak. I'll take it as a friendly amendment (laughs) since we're in Washington, D.C. There you go. There you go. The land of many not friendly amendments, (laughs) I might add, but... Uh, whatever. So how have the first couple months at the University of Louisville been? This is week six on the job, and it has been wonderful. I am. I hope you will come and see us there. Carly. I would be delighted. It would be would such be an delighted. honor to I'd have love you come to and see. Meet some students and chat with people. I, I am. I love it because it's the promise of a metropolitan research university. I think this will resonate for you because 
I really think the days of we think lofty thoughts in our ivory hour, uh, ivory towers, far from the matty crowd, if you yeah. will. I think those days are gone. This idea of a metropolitan research university. So some of the things I will keep and celebrate is the university, the talent of the faculty, staff, and students being leveraged to tackle problems in West Louisville, which is. Uh, a uh, very challenged area on so many levels. I love that, that we... You're part of the community. Part, and I do think that the difference we make in life should be like ripple effects. It should make a big impact right where you are and then go out to the world. You know, I'm, I'm smiling because uh, one of the analogies that I use frequently hmm. is dropping a pebble in a pond. Do you really? Okay. And a pebble can be very small in a very big body of water. But when you drop that paddle, pebble, the ripple <laughs> goes a very long way. And so when you say ripple effect, exactly it. right. It That's... is an impact that um, is right where you are and that can be very <laughs> long lasting. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, uh, so that's the dream. I am in Louisville to stay, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we make life better for a lot of young people. Well, I have no doubt that those hopes will be realized. I have no doubt that you are going to lead the University of Louisville to be a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest, and it has been a great privilege and pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. This, this, the honor is entirely mine. I'm privileged to sit down with you. Thank you. That's all for today. But you can always check out more episodes online at carlyfiorina.com or on iTunes. Please subscribe so you can get all of the episodes. And while you're at it, please give us a review we'd really appreciate five stars. That review will help more people join our conversations. You can find more information and keep up to date on new episodes and offers by joining our email list at carlyfiorina.com slash by example. You can also send us feedback there or on Facebook and Twitter at Carly Fiorina. Also, go to carlyfiorina.com to pre-order my new book called Find Your Way. It's about leadership, unleashing your own power, and unlocking your highest potential. I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. <music>